Okay, so today is like totally different. And so if you're visiting with us for the first time uh, and you're going, okay, so where's the sermon? Uh, it's, it's a little bit different today. Here's what's been happening. We just spent the last five weeks up till now talking about this idea of offensive parenting, of getting ahead of our kids anticipating what they really need to know, what they really need to learn in that moment, and preparing them before uh, they have to respond. Instead of waiting till things are falling apart, instead of just reacting defensively to what's going on in our kids' lives. And we've been unpacking this together out of Scripture. But I get it. I get that there's moments when we're having this conversation and you're thinking to yourself, all right, Lynn, look, you're the Bible guy. So that's the answer you're supposed to give. But how does this work in real life? I mean, because it, it, it's just different when it's your three-year-old and when you're struggling with the things we're struggling with. Or you say, look, Lynn, that may have worked really good in the 1950s when you were parenting, but now, you know, now uh, it's a little different. So what we've done is we've assembled a panel of people who are right in the thick of this. They are in the middle of parenting and in the middle of trying to put together some of the very principles that you and I have talked about. And so what we want to do is give you the opportunity to ask the question and go, okay, so honestly, I mean, when your three-year-old is doing this, when when you look at them and you have your best parenting moment and your child laughs in your face, what do you do next in that moment? And we've brought up some families that are right in the midst of doing those things themselves. And so hopefully we're going to be able to give you some answers that make sense in trying to go apply all the stuff. Uh, that we've unpacked together. Now, we reserve the right to say, uh, I don't know, and good luck with that uh, at any point. But we're going to do our very, very, very best. So here's what you want to do right now. Start thinking about the questions that you would want to ask about real-life parenting. Uh, we've got runners with microphones. They're going to come to you. If you raise your hand, they'll bring the microphone to you. You can toss the question out. We're going to do our very, very best uh, to try to field those questions for you. And so while you're thinking about that, I just thought there is an amazing passage in Scripture that really, in essence, just gives you and me the job description of what it means to be a parent. And it's in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11, and it's uh, verse 18. Let me uh, read this to you. Here's what it simply says. Fix these words of mine. This is God speaking. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And I think it's interesting that God, when he talks about parenting, starts with saying, hey, look, this has to be real to you first. These these principles have to be in practice in your life ahead of time before you attempt to give them to your children. And so if in moments of disagreement, you're being disrespectful to your husband, and then all of a sudden you wonder why your kids don't give honor to the position of mom and dad. And just says, look, these things have got to be real of you before you even attempt to pass them on to your children. And then it goes on to say, teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may uh, may be many. And it simply says, look, parenting at its very best is simply looking for teachable moments. It's that quiet conversation in the car. It's, it's that moment uh, when you've watched a TV show and you're saying, hey, what did you think about what you just saw? And what does that mean for real life? It's looking for those opportunities to push into your child's life 
and just nudge them that much closer to Jesus and to more being like Christ. That's parenting at its very best. And here's what I want to say as we get ready to ask these questions and get ready to do this together. I know, I know that there are some people in here and you go, look, my kids are already grown up. Uh, I've already ruined their lives. So this is pretty useless for me. You've got grandkids and I'm just going to tell you the influence of a grandparent is unspeakable. I still wear huge marks in my life of simple conversations I had with my grandparents that I will never forget. And I'm just telling you, the power of a grandparent is huge. And then I know there's singles in this room and you're going, I haven't got a kid yet. I haven't, I haven't gone there. There are things that we're going to say today that as you sit down with your future spouse someday, you're going to want to say before you say, I do, you're going to say, How, what do you think about this? How would we navigate this as parents? And those of us in the room that are married, many of us wish we'd had that conversation before we got married because it's a little tough to have it after. Okay, So I'm just telling you, everything we're going to say in this room today, you want to hear. It has application for your lives. Okay, So let me introduce uh, the people that are up here today real quick and then get your questions ready. We're going to go. So we've got uh, Bill and Michelle Haydorn. Bill is actually brand new on our staff. You've been here how many weeks? Uh, four weeks. Four weeks. And Bill is the executive minister coming in to lead all of our adult ministries. We are just excited out of our heads because we believe a whole new day of maturity is coming to our church right now. And we've asked this guy to be at the front uh, spearheading that for us. So we're super excited about you. You've got about a week to fix everything around here (laughs) on the deal. No problem. Um, And so Bill is a Bible guy, youth pastor, everything else all through his career. But here's the cool part. Michelle is a real person and she's a real parent. And uh, so she's going to be able to come at it from this is really, really what goes on. And not just Bible answers on the deal for us. And we're thankful for you to be here. And then we've got Marty and Chris Sawyers. And uh, Marty is actually on our executive team. He is actually uh, my executive lead and supervises all the staff for us on our behalf. Which simply means I ask him to do everything I don't want to do uh, around here and take all the blame for it. Uh, and then, Chris, you've been a school teacher. You've actually been part-time staff here. Uh, at the church. The cool part about this couple is, is that you guys came to Cornerstone a long time before you were ever invited to be part of staff. So you're real people too, right? Okay. So we're glad you guys are here. So it was interesting because as we were getting ready to have this conversation, uh, we were telling parenting stories. And one of the parenting stories I loved was the short, short story. Okay. So Bill, you had this moment and I think it's cool because Every one of us that has daughters is probably going to have this moment at some time in their life. And it's the short shorts. Your daughter uh, got to that age where all of her friends uh, were wearing short shorts. And she decided that she wanted her own pair of short shorts. And you as a father were a little hesitant with this. And you came up with what I thought was a remarkable solution to it. So tell us your short short story. Well, after she had um, asked if she could get shorts that were quite short... um, I uh, just said, hey, that is inappropriate. We don't wear those. And she said, well, Dad, you know, everybody at school is wearing them like this and all my friends and that and that. And I said, hey, that's great, but that's not happening. We're, uh, you know, we're Christ followers. We just, that's not how short you're going to wear your shorts. And so the conversation kept going. I'm like, okay. So I, I said, just hold on one minute. I have a, if you want to wear short shorts, then uh, if you want to wear them, then I'm going to do something. And if you allow me to do this, then you can wear short shorts as well. And she's like, you know, she lit up. All right, sounds a great deal. So I went upstairs and I went into my closet and I found an old pair of jeans and I cut them up really, really high. And I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing high enough. 
that certain Let- parts of your assets were <laughs> displayed. Wow. <laughs> I had something about a moneymaker, that's what I heard, but, uh, yeah. Yes, yes, big money. Um, And uh, and so I put those shorts on, and I came downstairs, um, frolicking, of course, um, and she looked, and I said, okay, here's the deal. You can buy those shorts as long as wherever we go with you in those shorts, I'm walking you there. And so if you want to go to class, I will take you to class in your short, in these shorts. I'll take you to lunch. Um, and she, uh, actually, these are the shorts right here. <laughs> nice, aren't they? Um, and so obviously she was like, okay, no, that's not going to work. I heard that you were actually willing to loan those out to families in need. Absolutely. If yeah. you guys want to rent these or some uh, fathers around here who... Uh, need to have that example for your kids. I have them available for you. Hmm. So, I thought what, it was really cool. We were back just before we came out here, and we got into a conversation. We started firing back and forth. And one of the things we were talking about was this idea that said, you know, one of the challenges of parenting, our kids are different. You can't, you can't treat every kid the same because one of your kids is tender-hearted and just almost dry cries at the drop of a hat. And your other kid is so stinking stubborn, you could beat them with a two-by-four, and they still would do whatever they were going to do. And this challenge of, say, of realizing, saying, hey, I, I've got I've to be different with my kids because the same thing doesn't necessarily work from kid to kid. So talk about that for a second for us. Well, as we were talking in the back, is my wife was describing Mackenzie, our oldest, almost 14-year-old, just like me. Very stubborn, wants her own way, gets upset if she doesn't get her own way, and our son... Who is much more like Chris, uh, very tender-hearted, wants to please. If you look at him cross-eyed, you know he'll, you know, get upset. So we, we had to parent and actually discipline differently, treat them differently. Um, you know, we were harder on Mackenzie in certain discipline areas where we didn't have to do that with Connor. Yeah. So I think one of the interesting parents sometimes, are almost with a badge of honor, say, "Hey, I raised all my kids the same," and you just almost want to go, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Your kids aren't the same." And, and if you had treated your daughter, Mackenzie, the same way that you had treated Connor, one of those kids would have derailed, right? If you'd been, if you'd been as hard on Connor as you had to be on Mackenzie, he, he probably would have broken his heart. And yet the other side is if you'd been as gentle with Mackenzie, then she would have just blown past all your parenting, right? And so this gets, this gets tough. I think it? in all issues too with our kids, that things don't have to be fair. I mean, presents didn't have to be the same. If one person got to do something special or one person's doing chores, it didn't have to be the same. It's just this is what mom and dad have asked you to do, and you don't need to worry about what your brother or your sister is doing. And the same goes with how we discipline them. And then it was okay that they saw that their sibling was being treated differently. I mean, in love and kindness, mm-hmm. but differently. Sorry. I think part of it's getting our heads right too is this is, is it not even about, hey, the last time I gave you one week grounding when you did this and this time I don't have to give you one. I can give you two weeks this time if I want to, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not about being fair. It's about what is required to get your heart to be soft again. And if you've got a child who melts at the first look and repents and says, look, I'll never do it again, then probably whatever discipline is meted out is probably fairly minimal. Because their heart has already turned, but you've got a kid shaking their heart at you in defiance and going, just wait till I, then you're probably going to be tougher because you've got to wait till the heart goes soft. And it's not about fair. 
it's about getting the attention of the heart on the deal. So it, it's that's why it's parenting. That's why you can't write a book because it's art, right, on the deal. All right, so here's what let's do. Let's, let's get your questions to see what we can do in, in trying to answer those for you. So questions that are out in the audience. Okay, if you don't have questions, I've got like an hour and a half sermon uh, that uh, we can go after here real quick. Questions in the audience. Um, at what age is it appropriate to start disciplining, spanking, timeout? What age do they start understanding that? Yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so at what age do you start actually disciplining? Because it's pretty obvious as a tiny, tiny infant, that would just be ludicrous. So at what age did you guys find yourselves finally saying, okay, it's time to discipline in this moment? It was the minute my daughter said no. (laughs) And right away I thought, hmm, okay, she's ready to have a little discipline. And, And, you know, as obviously as she got older and our kids got older... You know, it got more, you know, we we were able to guide them and direct them. But when the minute my child first said, no, mommy, no, that was, that was key to me. Because that was a clue to you that she understood what no meant. That's right. Any other? No, it was the same. First sign of defiance. um, Yeah. That's when we started. Responding to the fight. That was in the one or two year old range. It was. Yeah. And it was a slap on the hand. That's what we Yeah. Did. And I think it's going to change a little bit for a child, but I think it is kind of that cognizant thing of my child knows that when I say no, I mean no. They understand the definition of it. I think at that point, then defying no becomes an issue. Because, again, it's the heart. It's, it's responding to the heart. Good question. What else? Is it okay? At what age do you stop disciplining I have a 17 and a 21, and sometimes a 21 just needs more affirmativeness. Okay. <laughs> okay, so wait, it, it, all right, so at what age do you stop disciplining? 45? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't know if, it, if, if it's discipline, but when I was at home until I moved away, I was 18, I was still under the authority of my parents. But the way they treated me and the way I honored them is... They're still. The, I'm for, almost 45. I still call my mom and dad and ask for advice because I know what they're going to give me. Um, and that wouldn't have happened uh, if they stopped disciplining me at, at 12. Uh, so I, I think you're always going to be disciplining them or teaching them, trying to move their heart Let, to a Let's talk moment. about because I think I think there's the time when when discipline tends to be. Uh, more corporal tends to be more loss of privilege. Hey, you, you're going to be on timeout for this long, or you're grounded for this long. Talk to me about um, as you began to transition into that second stage, which was I'm really disciplining the heart now, and, and so I'm really going after trying to have them sad that they hurt my heart. When did you kind of, because before that, you probably would have said, hey, you just lost your cell phone privileges. But there came moments where you suddenly said, hey, I'm not going to spank you. I'm not going to take anything away. But I do want to talk to you right now about how sad I am about the types of decisions you just made. And when did that kind of shift begin to happen with your kids? I know for us it happened probably around, uh, for our son, at least around 12, um, 11, 12 and I remember disciplining his heart. Uh, 
he had done some things and I, I was just angry with him. And I would just say, you know, be short and say, oh no, you just need to do this and take care of this. And it wasn't responding. And then I sat him down and I said, this is why you're hurting me. Let me tell you why. Uh, let me show you. And man, that was one of the most powerful. You remember that night we were sitting in his bedroom and he just started weeping because he didn't, he didn't have a clue. He didn't understand at that point. And once we opened that up to him, uh, then he really began to see it. Hmm. Really began to see those things. Anything else on that? And... I think, too, I mean, obviously you have a child that they're out of the house. They're not living under your authority. I think it becomes more of a coaching and a mentoring and lots of prayer. But um, I, I don't think that you would be disciplining your 22, 25-year-old in a way that, you know, obviously you'd be disciplining a younger child. I think it's just a lot of coaching and just a lot of the heart issue. And hopefully as they've grown that you've been able to share with them your heart and um, not wanting to disappoint God, not wanting to disappoint your parents, that um, you won't get to that point. But sometimes there's nothing you can do other than just, pray, you know, you just you can pray for them and you just continue just coaching them. And like Marty had said, calling, you know, Marty still calls his parents on, on big issues of life. Doesn't mean he does everything his parents say right now. I mean, he has his own opinions, but it's it's a it's a it's a hard issue with your kids. I think there's an interesting, you know, because I, it's not like one day. It, it was timeouts, and then the next day it was, oh, we only coach the heart. I think you, you get to that late adolescent time, I'm 11, I'm 12, in that period, and it, it's, it becomes a mix. And you sit there and you go, okay, what's going to be the most effective way to get my child's attention right now? And sometimes it's, hey, uh, you just lost your cell phone. Because in the given moment, given what's the circumstance, that just feels like the most effective way. And then if it doesn't work... You go back to the square one and say, okay, i got to try a different tactic next time because that did not get the attention. And it's interesting, then all of a sudden you may say, you know what, this, where my daughter is, where my son is, this is more of a conversation now. And all of a sudden I realize my son is so concerned about my approval in his heart that telling him that this disappointed me is way more powerful than any grounding I could have done. He would have sat there the whole time I grounded him kind of, written his teeth and yet to tell him that he hurt my heart and he's weeping and again this is going to go child to child you may it may be a 13 or 14 year old before this starts to sink in some of us have nine-year-olds whose hearts are so soft that there's no need to you know ground them you just say wow i i can't tell you how sad i am you made that choice and that nine-year-old is just broken in and i think at the end of the day it when do you transition it's when it becomes effective to transition. When you when you're getting their attention in their hearts, is when you transition. On the deal. All right, good. A great question. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> Sorry about that. My beautiful wife would like to know what what basically happens when something comes up and the in-laws get in the way of a decision. Okay, so say it again because I could. Your beautiful wife uh, <laughs> wants to know. What happens when the in-laws get in the way? Yeah, what happens basically when the in-laws get in the way of a decision that the parents make? Okay. So, uh, let me, are they, are they overruling the decision? Are they criticizing? What are they doing? Indirectly, they're trying to overrule it because they don't agree with it. So, when they're with your in-laws, they, they do, they do things differently? Pretty much. Okay. What do they do? What do they do if they're like at your house and you're enforcing the decision? Do they get in the way then or do they sit in silence? Oh, they're silent, but then when they're at Nana and, or Grandma and Grandpa's house. Yeah, then it's okay to have chocolate milk and donuts, right? 
Yeah, yes or yeah. no? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. So it's a great question. That's a really good question. Who wants to grab that one? Where's my mom? She Yeah. Do any of us have in-laws in the room right now? Yeah. I, 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 I think would say it, it depends yeah, on the issue. Like, yeah. I mean, if it's chocolate, milk, and donuts, grandparents get free reign on that. <laughs> That's the joy of being a grandma and grandpa. I don't know. Uh, but if it's, I, I, it depends on what the issue is. If it's a discipline, you know, the way grandparents discipline as opposed to mom and dad, um, that's a different story altogether. You're the parent. You're the parent. And okay, so as you say, it depends. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great answer. It does depend. Give us, give us some guidelines that say, okay, if, if grandma and grandpa went differently on these types of things, I would just brush it off. Give me a couple of those. Like snacks or, you know. Snacks and. Um, staying up late. Yeah, staying up late. But. So, and, and the reality is, guys, listen, part of the privilege of being grandma is that you now get to do all the things you would have never done with that's your own right. kid. That's just, that's part of it. It's just part of what you do. But give, give me some examples of some things that you would say, no, 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 that's important enough that we're going to have a conversation with grandma and grandpa about this. So what would those things be? We had to have a conversation with his mom about movies that she was letting our teenage daughter watch. We just have different um, standards of what is allowed. And she had a hard time with it, not understanding um, where we were coming from. She's much more of a free spirit. Hey, right. Every movie's a great movie. Who cares if it's NC-17? Yeah, you know, just go, she yeah. needs to see it. Yeah. That's natural. You know, they got to learn it life. somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, just, yeah, it's, yeah. So we, you know, we had a conversation, and she was, we're fortunate she was receptive. What would you have done as you went to Grandma and Grandpa, mm-hmm. and and now it's a big deal? Now it's, now it's an establishing the culture of our family, and it's not late-night snacks, and it's mm-hmm. not donuts, and... It, it's now something that's big to the culture of your children and who they are. In that moment, what if they had refused? What if they had said, hey, no, we're just going to let them watch the movies. We're going to let them watch whenever they're in our presence. How would you guys have responded to that? I think Bill would have sat down with her and had a more stern conversation, <laughs> a more serious conversation. I would probably remove myself. Just That's just, I think, wise in a marriage to let you handle your parents. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. how we handled it. Okay. And so if it had been your parents, you would have... Then I would have said Yeah, that. okay. All right. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. But what if they had refused? What would you have done? We would have pulled... We would have said, hey, you can watch them if you're with us or... Uh, so you would have boundaries. pulled privilege. Oh, yeah. You would have said, hey, yeah. uh, they're just not going to watch movies at your house, period. Absolutely. You're Set not going to get that choice anymore. Mm-hmm. You okay. have to just realign rearrange your boundaries and what's allowed and we're responsible for our kids and i think that's the hugest thing is you know if if my parents disagree with how we raise our kids then that's a whole nother issue so i think i think the operative thing that i would just toss back is if if this is preference stuff if this is just how late does the kids stay up you know um do they get late snack that Somewhere you got to give some margin and just say, look, that's what being a grandparent does. They're going to give them too many cookies before dinner. That's just what it is to be a grandparent. But when you start talking about things that define you as a family, yep. then you literally say, no, this is not negotiable. And the truth is you'll lose access. Mm-hmm. I won't give my children to you to make those decisions if you won't support us in this. Yeah. And so that's big deal. Yes. Big deal. Great question. All right. What else? Tough question. 
Hi. Several weeks ago, you discussed poking the bear. Yeah. And I have two daughters. One is seven, and the other is eight. And oftentimes, my husband travels, and I feel that when he's away, which he's away this week, so please pray. For you me. you wish he was here because you could, you know, yeah. Um, I feel that they take advantage of me, and I try to practice love, patience, and tolerance. And right. Try. I, I mean, I literally out loud will sometimes say, "Please, God, help me." Okay. So that I can try to remain calm because I feel like I'm the bear. Like I just want to flip out sometimes, and um, I can't take away a cell phone because they don't have cell phones. And right. I, I really feel that I'm I'm not parenting the way that I should be because I feel like I'm almost failing because okay. they just they in the way they're disrespecting me constantly and they don't listen to me. So right. I'm just between a rock and a hard place. I'm not really sure. Should I be putting them in their room? I don't, you know, what do you do for a seven and eight-year-old? You put them in a timeout for eight minutes? You know, mm-hmm. it's just not working. So I'm just looking for some advice. Okay. So it feels like they're disrespecting you. feels like they're, they're repetitively coming back and doing it over again and not, not amending their behavior on the deal. And you end up being the bear. So you get, you get to those moments where you're just frustrated and it's just, yeah. Okay. So anyone want to take that? What, what, I, I traveled a lot in my last my last job. Did what did Marty was gone probably a week out of every month. You know, maybe a week and a half to two weeks. And when Marty's home, things are different. When Dad was home, right? Things were different. Things ran smoother. Um, they were in bed on time. And when Mom was home, things was a little bit more lax. Um, but my kids, what I would suggest. I mean, you have a seven and you have an eight year old. Is that is that what you're seeing? Um, just being able to sit down as a family before dad goes on a trip, explain, you know, the pressures of being able to manage your two kids when dad's not here, make sure that dad's maybe calling and checking in and saying, how's, you know, how are you guys doing? Are you getting along? Are you doing what mom says? And, um, just having a family meeting before they go, before Let me ask goes. a question. Are things different when the husband's there? 100% different. It is always okay. different. Okay. And so let me ask you this. When when they misbehave and your husband is there, how many chances do they get? Okay. So you, the answer was maybe two. Okay. And I'm just going to suggest, I'm just going to say this, guys, out loud. And I'm, I'm just going to encourage you in this. This is why that whole conversation about first-time obedience is so absolutely crucial. Because every time you give your child a chance... You teach your child to gamble. So when you say, hey, no, 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 don't hit your sister. And then you don't back it up with, because the next time I'll discipline you. Then guess what your child's going to do? They're going to hit their sister again. That's what, because it's inbred in every single child to find out where is the line really. And now they hit their sister a second time. And you say, whoa, 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 I told you don't hit your sister. And you don't do anything, guess what they're going to do? They're going to hit their sister again. And what you're teaching them is, is that, hey, yesterday I got to hit my sister three times, but today mom's more tired and so I get to hit her seven times. And that's, that's a good payoff. One spanking, seven hits, I'll do that every day. And the only way you can do this is make it so it's not fun anymore. See, the reason poke the bear works is because it's fun and sometimes I win the game by poking the bear more than I did yesterday. And the only way you, you curtail this, and again, it gets back to what feels like respect, is you've got to pull it back and say, hey, look, here's the deal. Here's how family works from now on. I, when you do something you shouldn't do, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to tell you what you did is not appropriate. But I'm also going to tell you the next time you do it, here's the consequence. This is what we will do the next time. 
And it doesn't take a child that long to suddenly go, oh my goodness, it's a new day in our family. And this game is not very fun because every single time I do what I do, I get responded to and then it's consequence. And suddenly you start finding yourself saying, hey, don't hit your sister again or else. And they're done. And suddenly it feels a lot more respectful. Suddenly it feels like your husband's at home because he doesn't give that same margin. And it just changes this culture inside your family. It's just, it's a big deal. You can't let your kids be gamblers. Next question. Um, I just <clears throat> have a question. What if you have a special needs child? How do you deal hmm. with that? Because can you treat them the same? Hmm. Okay, so you have a special needs child. How do you deal with that? I don't know that any of us have special needs childs up here. Anyone want to try to tackle that? Patience. Yeah. And, and I know that's... I would say get involved in a community um, where you can uh, have other parents who are going through the same. I mean, really in any community uh, is where these things really act out, where you can sit down with others who are dealing with the same issues and say, hey, how do you do it? What is something? How, how can you... I mean, I feel for I can see in your face how difficult that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't give up hope to know that there is help out there and you can do this. Uh, you really can. But to I, find that community. My baby sister was autistic. And she was autistic before anybody knew what autism was. And uh, so we lived this every day in my family and in my life. Here would be my best advice. And I wasn't a parent in this moment. I was a brother in this moment. But here would be my... Number one is you're going to have to mend your parenting. Because you can only parent to the capacity of the child. So I still think you're going to discipline when no is. But that child may be six years old before they understand no. You, you can only parent to the capacity of the child. But here's the other part that I have to say out loud. You have to parent to the capacity of the child. You cannot allow that handicap to forever be an excuse for their bad behavior or ill behavior. Because your challenge is to make that child as functional as they can possibly be out in the greater culture. And how great would it be if that child could actually one day hold a job, maybe even one day be able to have a family of their own. But the only way they're going to do that is if you can help them navigate to a level of functionality that's there. So you cannot let the handicap become the liability, the excuse, but you always have to take the handicap into account. My five-year-old probably can't navigate what other five-year-olds can. And I can only parent, maybe I'm parenting to a three-year-old level right now because my five-year-old can't do it. But your goal has to be to get them as close to fully functioning inside of our it's interesting, my baby sister, when we finally, they finally started figuring out what autism was, and we took her down to be tested, and they came back to us, and they said, she's not autistic. And we said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, she doesn't bang her head against the wall. She's not hitting other people. She doesn't talk about herself in third. She doesn't do all the things that are autistic. And we go, you don't understand. This was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of patiently navigating her. Those are all her old behaviors. She's, we've just gotten her past the typical autistic behaviors. And that really is the challenge. How close can I get my child to being fully functional given an understanding of what they're capable of and parenting a seven-year-old like a four-year-old? It's an amazing challenge. And God bless you for having it. God knew something about you that he trusted you with that. He really did. Other questions?
We're getting close. We got time for like one or two more. Yep. So if you got a question. Uh, yes. I have an 11 year old son, amazing guy. But lately he's been uh, challenging me with behavior. He, he, uh, he'll see his father on the weekends. I don't want to give it to him that he's confused, but he's been, you know, just not wanting to follow my direction and questioning my authority. So it's really rough to, I'm like pulling my hair out. Hmm. Okay, so we, all right, so let let me, we've got an 11 year old boy. Are are you, is the, is the father around? Yes, he's Yes, the father's around. I have him during the week and he'll go to his father. Okay, so you you and the father are separated. Yes. Okay, and so he goes to his father on weekend, then he comes back to you. Did I hear you say that he doesn't want to go to his father right now? No, 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 he wants to go to his father, but him and his father have a really just, how do I say this without being rude? Say it. It's okay. We, we, no one else is listening, so say it. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> okay. The way he talks to his father is just not necessary. Um, he's 11. So he's disre- is he disrespectful towards his father? Yeah, disrespectful. It doesn't, it's like there's no manners, there's no okay. chores, there's no authority. And then when he comes to me, he questions me greatly, my authority, and you know, I sit down with him, and I'm constantly... Telling him, look, this is this isn't how you can. Does his father hold him accountable when he's disrespectful? Only for school. That's the only thing. Only for school. School. Okay. And is is dad trying to be the good guy? Yes. Is is he trying to be the friend? Buying video game after video game. Okay. All right. Anybody want to try and tackle this one at all? (laughs) I would almost. You can't hold your the father accountable but you can hold you you're going to have to hold yourself accountable in your home and it's this is how we're going to behave in in our family um it it's 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 how i train my children to honor my wife um you are not going to treat my wife this way that's how we're going to behave in this household Uh, i can't I, i can't I don't know what, they're going to, what he's going to do at his household, but this is how we're going to behave, and this is how I'm going to hold you. These are the standards, and this is the level of uh, respect you're going to show in, in our household. I would say in, I came from a broken family where I was torn between my, um, my dad and my mom. Kids are smart. I manipulated them both to get what I wanted. And so you need to call them out. Um, and, I, and I'm, I'm just saying that because I, I'm a real good, good at that, huh, babe? Um, <laughs> I'm just being honest. Uh, and, and sometimes I think we feel guilty because, okay, yeah, I understand that you have a split family and things are difficult when you're separated. And, uh, but you also need to, you still have to discipline your kids because they're going to miss out. And my mom was afraid to discipline me. My dad was afraid. So I got free reign. Um, and that wasn't healthy for me in the long run. I had to learn when I became an adult uh, how to redo discipline hmm. on my own because I didn't have it there. It wasn't fair to me. And so I know it's hard, but you have to continue moving forward. And the scripture says keep on keeping on. That's hmm. what you got to do yeah. even when it's tough. I, I think the part that's really, really hard in this is that 
in a perfect world, you'd go to your husband and say, hey, let's, let's have some commonly agreed on behaviors and, and responses to those behaviors, and let's work together on this. That probably happens, guys, less than 10% of the time when you got a divorce, when you got a split family. Because what happens is there's always, there's always a spouse who decides, I want to be the most popular. I want to be the one the kids love. And so I'm not going to discipline. I'm going to make it nothing but fun and games when they're with me. So they'll like me better than their father or like me better than their mother. And if you find yourself in that position, then my best, you just have to do what's right. And I will tell you that disrespect is something that I think you have to draw zero tolerance on. Um, if, if your son at 11 is saying, hey, wait a minute, I want to ask why we're doing that. I'd like to appeal that. That's fine. And as long as he will do that respectfully with you, then I think he has the right to say, hey, I'm 11, and why can't I, and could we talk about it? And as long as he does that respectfully, then he has the right to appeal. But the moment that moves into disrespect, that's a totally different issue, and there ought to be zero tolerance to disrespect for you as his mother. And the reality is you're going to end up being the bad one. It just is, it's what it is. And for the next few years, dad's going to be the all fuzzy wuzzy and the good guy that takes them camping and the guy who lets them all, you know, eat donuts. And you're going to be the bad one. And chances are your 11 year old isn't going to process that well. Your 11 year old is going to go, hey, I like my dad better than I like my mom. My mom's too tough. It's when they get to about 17, 18, 19, when all of a sudden it'll begin to turn and they'll go, you know what? I get what my mom was doing. I get how deeply she loved me and why she called, held me accountable. And But you right now probably are going to be the bad one. It's, it's the reality of divorce. It's the reality of separation. It's part of the fallout uh, when this happens in our homes on the deal. We, we went over on time, so I just want to say thank you to you guys for being open and honest and uh, really just exposing your families to us. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, these, again, these are available, uh, yeah, but thank you guys for doing that. Hey, I, I just thought as we were coming uh, to the very end of this uh, series together, how cool would it be if the families of Cornerstone, if we just kind of made this a moment of consecration and of commitment and just said, look, we're, we're going to do this to the very highest of our capacity, we're simply going to parent as well as we possibly can. And we don't care what the culture says, and, and we don't care necessarily what our parents did, or maybe even what our neighbors are doing, or what the popular parenting program on TV. We just don't care. We're going to do our very, very best to do this in a godly way. And if others don't understand, it's okay that they don't understand. It's interesting, Joshua comes to a moment very similar to this in which he's standing in front of his friends and his neighbors and his relatives. And there's a real question of, hey, uh, what are we going to do next? And Joshua in that moment simply says this, I, I don't know what you're going to do. I, I don't know what course you're going to take, but let me, let me tell you what I can tell you. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's our answer. Matter of fact, uh, he gives that answer in, the, in Joshua chapter 24. It's, uh, it's verse 15. Here's what he said. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers serves when they were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living right now. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 
And I just thought, what, how cool would it be if we finished this six-week conversation that we've had together and simply made that same commitment ourselves and said, as for the Edwards home, as for the Johnson home, I don't know what my friends and neighbors are going to do, but our home, we're going to serve the Lord. And how cool would it be if in this day we made a commitment as parents to say this, this is no longer about making everything happy and safe and wonderful. This is about preparing my children for the world they're going to one day face. And that our goal became that our children would be better than us. That our children would be more committed to their Lord Jesus Christ. That they would follow him with more determination than we did. That they would be more sold out than their mom and dad. What if our kids were better followers of God than us because of how we parented them? It'd be a good day. So here's what I thought we'd do. I thought we'd just stand together. I thought we'd pray a prayer of commitment and consecration together. And here's the thing. I get it. I get there's some in the room and you go, Lynn, I, I just don't know if I'm ready for that. This is my first Sunday. I don't know what you're doing. It's okay. Cross your fingers. Then it won't count. Okay? You just... You know, hey, I, I, you know, th this isn't my prayer. That's okay. Because there's a bunch of us in the room, this is our prayer. There's a bunch of us in the room that just say, man, if my kids could love Jesus more than me, I'd be a happy parent. So let's do that. Let's just pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, God, I pray for the grandparents in this room who right now are having the incredible opportunity to speak into the lives of the grandkids. I pray for the parents in the room who are in the thick of this thing and trying their very best to make the right decision and understand that what works for one kid doesn't necessarily work for the other and god i just plead wisdom on them that god you would you would give them insight you'd help them to make great parenting decisions for each of their kids god i pray for the singles in this room that they'd be better than us that they would they would already have a sense of where they're going and what they're doing in parenting that would be so strong that they wouldn't marry somebody who wasn't just as committed and just as fully on that journey of raising great godly children. And God, we just give ourselves to you. We consecrate our families. We simply say, God, give us the chance to raise kids that are better than us, that love you more than we love you, that serve you more faithfully than we ever served you, that stand in the hardest moments of life with more courage and more bravery than we ever showed. God, may our children be better than us. This we plead, this we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen.